You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of So You Want to Be a Writer. I'm Valerie Koo, and I'm here with the awesome Alison Tate. How are you today, Alison? Well, I'm awesome, Val, <laughs> obviously. Goes of without course. saying. Yes. No, I'm very well. I'm um, very busy with my writing and stuff. I've got all my editing finished on book two, and it's all of the Mapmaker Chronicles, and it's all heading off into the process, which is a long and involved process, but at least it's going there. And, um, and I'm busily writing book three. Goodness me, book three. I know, it's very exciting. I have to wrap it all up now. It's so exciting. I'm in the middle of this scene that's just, oh, I can't wait to get to the end and find out what happens. Do you know what happens at the end? Well, I have a vague idea. Yeah, no, yeah, I do. Of the end of the scene? Yes. Yeah, well, no, at the end of the book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. I know where I'm going. I always know where I'm going, even if I don't always know how I'm going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I have an end point. I sort of have a start point and an end point. Um... And that's that's where I, that I'm not a mad plotter, but I do like to have sort of a goal in mind. Always good to have a compass. Um, well, particularly <laughs> when you're writing about maps. maps yes. yes, very, very good. And you, what have you been doing? Oh, what have I been doing? Okay, so I um, I've been at the Gold Coast for a couple of days for some family reasons, and I have been. Um, Busy kind of recovering. Yesterday I had one of those days, I think because I feel like I've been sprinting for three weeks straight, you know, being going across Australia, various states, you know, and then the Gold Coast. And um, I had one of those dopey days where I locked myself out of the house and, you know. I (laughs) I love those days. Bought the wrong things and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully today is, uh, um, as they say on Fox Sports, on the improve. Oh, my God. The improve. I hate that, but anyway. What are you doing watching Fox Sports? Oh, I don't watch you Fox are Sports. You so not a Fox Sports. My partner watches Fox Sports, but he, you know, it's quite entertaining, not because of, you know, what the Geelong Cats are up to or anything like that, but because of all the typos. It's quite fun. Like sometimes when I'm um, a little <laughs> bit down, my partner, you know, knows how to cheer me up. He goes, come on. Let's just watch Fox Sports and laugh at the typos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have such a wild and crazy life. I know. <laughs> we live on the edge. But anyway, on to the news of writing and publishing oh. this week. Um, one new thing is a uh, launch of a new magazine. So oh. the new philosopher are going to launch a sister title called Womankind. Which is interesting. And according to Mumbrella, it says that it's aimed at all women who are not being catered for in the current market of celebrity and gossip-driven women's magazines. Now, that's quite a lot of women, so. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the publisher or the editor has said, when you get into the news agents, you see the magazines that my grandma used to read on diet tips, celebrities, etc. Why hasn't publishing changed over the years? Why don't they reflect the very intelligent and worldly women who travel, who live in different countries, etc.? These magazines haven't moved. So it's going to be interesting when uh, this comes out. They hope to print more than 20,000 copies on their first run. But I'm very curious to see what it's going to be like because I think many efforts have been made over the years um, to reach the intelligent woman. And I remember there was a Portfolio magazine, then there was Smart Woman Smart magazine, woman. Yeah. and then they merged and became Smart Woman and Portfolio magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a short-lived magazine called Independent Woman and uh, so it's quite interesting to see how, um, where, you know, what they're going to do with this because often 
some of these magazines do cater for – they do try to cater for women in the corporate world. And what I find interesting is when they are edited by women who have never been in the corporate world. Right. So um, – and, and I feel that that really comes through in, the, in, you know, in the writing. But, you know, this magazine doesn't necessarily look like it, it's going to be for women in the corporate world from the cover, and that's all we've, we've got at the moment. Um, on, in the Mumbrella publication, it kind of like – looks like maybe it'll be an older woman's Frankie or the mature woman's Frankie. Yeah, Who knows? It, looks, it does look like it's a um, – as you say, we can only judge by the cover. Mm. And do we judge a magazine by its cover? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, I, it looks that there'll be sort of arts, there might be a lot of arts based. And I noticed that it's actually being edited by Antonia Case, who is the literary editor of New Philosopher. So, yeah, well, I mean, you know what? Yay. Yeah. We have a new magazine. <laughs> Let's have a look at it and see what it's like. We'll have to get ourselves a copy. ASAP, Val. That's right. I mean, they're currently going against the grain because people are saying print is dead, but here's a print magazine that's launching. Mm. Now, next on our list is um, I came across a link, it's a cute link, um, about a bunch of students who wrote to all of their favourite authors and asking them to visit their school. And interestingly, Kurt Vonnegut was the only one who responded and he wrote this great letter and we'll put the link in the show notes and the post actually reproduces a photograph of the letter and um, he offered some, you know, great advice and was really encouraging. So I thought it was really nice that he actually responded to these students. So my question to you is when you were, you know, younger or even not so young, um, did you have you ever written to somebody that you really admired and you know hoped for a response or asked for advice or anything like that? Um, in a word, no, Val. <laughs> I haven't. But I'm loving this. I, if if I'd known that I would get a letter like Mr. Vonnegut has sent back to these children, then I would have done so. I loved it. I, I love the fact that he says I don't make public appearances anymore because I now resemble nothing so much as an iguana. I just <laughs> <laughs> what a delightful. That's what a delightful cute. image. No, um, no, I never have. And why is this so? Is it because I didn't think I needed advice? No, that's not the case. I just think I, that I just assumed nobody would ever write back. I think I'm, I think I'm pessimistic. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. And you? And you? Uh, I suppose um, a lifetime ago when I um, – so probably 20 years ago now or I don't know, a really long time ago when I was a bit obsessed with television, I thought I wanted to grow up and become Tony Squires because I, I felt that he had the best job in the world because at the time he wrote a television column. And, Which um, is true. That yeah, is a great job. Before he moved on to sport and all that kind of stuff, he wrote this television column. And I thought, oh, my God, watching television all the time, that's so fantastic. And I um, – and I wrote to him and to my surprise, he wrote a really long letter back saying he pinches himself sometimes that he gets to do this oh. job. Yeah. And then I sort of started exploring it a little bit further, um, you know, a career as a television writer. And I started doing a lot of these television reviews for various publications and, oh, my God, it just turned me off being a television writer because I had to watch all of these shows that I didn't want to watch. Oh. And so my house was full of videotapes at the time. <laughs> this was a long time ago. Of all these shows that I needed to watch and report on. But I just was like, I don't want to watch this crap. So I got over that. You know, Interesting. See, television. now now you could just blog about it and you could only do the ones that interested you. Exactly, exactly. That would work much exactly better for you, what I do. Yeah. So um, let's move on then to uh, people always ask us how to find time to write. This seems to be like this staple question in writers' forums um, all over the world. And so we decided at the Australian Writers' Centre to do a post on exactly that, how to find time to write, advice from the experts. So you're quoted in it. I know. So <laughs> I'm an expert. <laughs> please share. <laughs> how do you find well, time to write? Well, I my uh, thing has always been that you don't find time to write, you make time to write. And I think that it's the kind of thing that um, it's the only if – if I can give – you know, people who want to write, if I can give them no other message in the world, it would be that. It's this business of waiting for the perfect time and I'll write my novel when I've got a house in the country and I'm looking at the cows or I'll write my novel when the kids go to school or I'll write my novel, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
famous last words is all I have to say. Um, <laughs> you will never write your novel if you are waiting for the right time to do it. Um, it's now. Now's the time. Like yeah. You have to sit down and do it. And and um, I, I think that people say to me, oh, but, you know, I've got a job and I've got kids and I've got – and I'm like, yep. And how much TV do you watch? Yep. And what do you do on the weekends? And can you get up an hour earlier or can you stay up an hour later? Or, I mean, I just um, – you know, and it makes me sound like, you know, such a tosser when I say stuff like that. They look <laughs> at me like, yeah, what would you know? Um, but the fact of the matter is that I have, you know, been working um, always and I've worked, you know, since my oldest son, I wrote my first feature story when my oldest son was three months old. I've worked around my children for, you know, the last 10 or 11 years um, and I, I just think that you have to make it work. If you really want to be a writer, if you want to write a book, then you have to sit down and write it and you make the time to do it. I, I you know, didn't get much sleep for a long, long time <laughs> and I still don't. I write at night. It's quiet, really quiet and I know that no one is going to come and interrupt me and tell me they need to be fed, mm -hmm. which is always good, um, although I'm about to get a puppy so that may be the end of that. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that you have to you know, you have to find, you have to make the time. You've got to sit down and make the time. And I don't watch much TV. That's mm. the other thing. And the interesting thing is that most of the authors that I speak to, Kim Wilkins, I don't watch much TV. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you can either sit down and watch Real Housewives or you can spend an hour working on your book and that's your decision. And that's true. People often say to me, oh yeah, but by the time I get home, the last thing I want to be doing is getting in front of the computer again and writing. And I just say, well, obviously you don't want it enough. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. yeah. And um, so if we you really want to do it, it's the thing that you will find. You will, if you really want to do it, it's what you will do. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. And in addition to your advice, and we'll put the link in the show notes to that, we've actually got advice from Natasha Lester, um, who's an author and also freelance journalist Sue White, and also author Claire Scobie. Um, but one of the things, because people, somebody asked me this question the other day in a, in a separate interview in a different publication, and um, I said that I really find that I make the use, make really good use of pockets of time. Yeah. So, you know, and I remember once I was at um, the opera or something, and my friend, you know, went to go and buy us drinks at the bar, which was only five metres away, but... She was going to be there for at least one minute or 90 seconds or two minutes, depending on the queue. And that's, I had to get out my notebook and I wrote as much as I can on the story, on the article that I was working on at the time. And it's those pockets, those pockets add up. And I think what people need to remember to do is to value the thinking time. Like so much of the writing process happens in your head before you sit at a computer at all. And I think that like when I'm washing the dishes, because we don't have a dishwasher, but we don't talk about that, um, I'm standing at the sink and I'm staring down my backyard, which is beautiful and it's green and it's lovely. And in my head, I, like last night, for example, in my head, I was on a ship in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a battle, trying to work out who was going to be where and what was going to happen. And and while I was there, it was sort of like I had this moment of, oh, yes, that's it. That's what's going to happen and that's what's going to take me to the next bit. So I actually went to see a choir last night, so I didn't do any writing. But today I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write that scene knowing where I'm going with it. Mm. And that thinking time is so important. And so, you know, you can do a lot of the writing process while you're walking the dog and mm. – you're chasing the kids and waiting out the front of ballet or whatever it is that you're doing. So yep. that's that's important too. That's that you know make time to do that as well. Maybe I should stop using my dishwasher. You totally need to stop, <laughs> and you should send it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell us what's happening on Twitter this week. Well, Twitter has actually picked up 16 million active users in the last quarter. Which is a really interesting thing. I saw this on TechCrunch.com, and it's one of those things that they that it's a surprising leap. Um, they're not exactly sure what the reason for it is. It may be that people are moving away from other areas, but Twitter is a fantastic um, social media platform for writers. Um, if you if you can write succinctly and well, then you will shine on Twitter. So it's it's a fantastic outlet. I love it. I think it's a great place for writers to be. It's an excellent place to connect with publishers and other people in the writing world. And it's a it's a um, you know one of the one of my preferred social media platforms. So I thought to myself, well if I was a new writer 
you know, and this is this is a big um, a big place, Twitter. Where do I start? What do I do? Yeah. So, what would be your number one tip for Twitter uh, use, like for writers who are coming onto Twitter? Well, number one, get on it in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Number Good two, start. I think a lot of um, writers are thinking, oh, what would people want to know about me? I don't want to tweet, you know, every stupid thing that I'm doing each day. Well, you don't have to, don't. Um, you're in control. And I think that it's important not to sell yourself all the time. I think the number one tip is to make connections with people and develop real relationships. So actually just start conversations with people who look interesting or who make a funny comment and you want to reply back. So, you know, it's all about building relationships. And I think that's the number one value of Twitter. And it's not about being on Twitter to promote your book. It's about connecting with people. and, And so then they relate with you and and when you do put a book out they want you to succeed they because they have a connection with you yeah. i think it's really valuable for that they're invested in you well because you know i'm the engaging and relating type i um actually asked people yesterday on twitter what their number one tip was for people who are um you know coming onto the medium for the first time mm. and that tip of engagement interacting um, making relationships is the number one that, that everybody said to me. But the other thing that they did say, and this is quite interesting, is that Twitter has hashtags and those hashtags can be incredibly valuable for um, finding people who are interested in the same sorts of things that you're interested in mm. and to, be, to kind of, you know, make your reach on Twitter get bigger even when you're quite small Mm. if you use a hashtag and other people are interested in that hashtag then they will find you Um, and that was the second most popular tweet uh, the second most popular tip that I got was to use the writing hashtags am writing writing write tips those kinds of things and there is a list of the 100 best hashtags for um for writers and I will find it and I will put that link in the show notes so that if you are new it will help you to kind of you know sh- um, make some shortcuts to finding people that are, that that you might want to engage with do you use hashtags I do I use them um, I use them sparingly but I do use them um, no, in right- that context where you are actually looking up a hashtag specifically to connect with people who have used that hashtag if I'm looking for like I probably use them more from a work based sort of thing like if I'm looking for tips on blogging to share in a blog post or something like that then I will look up blog tips I remember being a few years ago I was involved in a there used to there is and still is um, a chat about blogging that happens on Twitter every Monday called hashtag blog chat and I got involved in that quite early on because I didn't know much about blogging and it was a really really good place to learn Mm. so I started following that hashtag and getting involved in that Mm. and it was a quite an interesting thing because every time I got involved in that particular blog chat I picked up 100 followers every Mm. single time and it was really interesting because people were looking at what I was saying and thinking oh well, I should follow her. She sounds really interesting. Mm. So there are things like that. So the, the, it depends on your, your area of interest. I know that there's a, a PB Lit chat, which is a picture book chat. So if you're interested in writing picture books, these are established picture book authors who are meeting once a week to talk about the state of the industry and what's going on. And they tweet under the PB Lit chat um, hashtag. And so sometimes I follow that because I just like to see what they're all up to. Um, yeah, there's a few different, uh, there's a few different things a few different ways to use hashtags, um, but it, they're definitely worth having a look at. Mm. Hmm. Okay, so let's move on to another link that's, uh, that's been out this week and it's from The Guardian called Writing No Longer Buys a Champagne Lifestyle. And we'll put the link in the show notes, but basically what this article is saying is that w- – the author reckons that once upon a time all he needed to do was write or all he or she, I'm not really sure, his, or they name is, their name is Rin, R-I-N, um, and all they needed to do was write and they could earn a decent income that way. And their point now is that they – and what they meant was write their particular passion, which was feature writing. But what they find is they need to now do some copywriting or some corporate writing, a, a variety of different types of writing in order to achieve the same kind of income um, that they did before. They can't rely just on the, the, what they're passionate about. They can't rely just on, you know, their, their feature writing. And um, I thought that was interesting because it was, for me, it was, 
I don't know, stating the bleeding obvious, really. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've just been around for too long to find that interesting because I, to me, it's like I've never thought that I could do one thing. Like when I was employed as a, as a freelance, oh, sorry, as a freelance, employed as a writer or an editor or whatever I was on a magazine, then yep, you can do one thing because that's mm. what you're there for. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I started freelancing, like even my for my first forays into freelancing, I was still working two days a week as an editor and writing three days a week yeah. or I was doing whatever. And I have always done a whole range of different things because you just can't – I just can't see how you can make a living. And I'm, I'm talking about a living wage here. I'm not talking about supplementing someone else's income or, or you know, living at home with mum or whatever you're doing. Um, if that's what you're doing, awesome. But, you know, for me, it's a, I, you know, I've had a mortgage to pay. I've had a family to bring up. You know, I'm do, doing all those sorts of things. I need to make a living wage and I can't do that just writing a couple of features a month. It's just mm. not going to work. Mm. Um, so I've always done lots of different things. Yeah, it's important because I find that a lot of people say to me, but, you know, <clears throat> I don't, I, I just want to write features. That's my passion. I don't feel I need to compromise and, and, um, and, and have to do corporate writing because that's, I just feel I'm not being authentic to, you know, to myself. And I'm like, you know what? Well, I don't feel authentic having to do the house cleaning. No. Um, I don't feel authentic having to, you know, wash the dishes. But <laughs> Let's it's, not talk about that. <laughs> but it's just something that, um, but that I do. You know, not everyone has the luxury of just doing the stuff that they're passionate about. Some people. Um, so I think what's useful is to try and um, embrace and enjoy and learn from the other opportunities that come your way, and potentially use them to feed your you know, your soul projects and it's, it's, it's important just to get that mix right and when you get that mix right, you can have an incredibly lucrative and thoroughly enjoyable, um, you know, living as a writer. That's right. And and the other thing is too though, as you say, like, you know, like people go, oh, corporate work, it's so boring and I actually think that if you're I think you can find the you can find the interest in anything. That's yeah, your job exactly. as an, as a writer is to find the interest. So I actually find it all quite interesting. I do some corporate work and I really enjoy it because you know I like talking to people who are really good at what they do. Yeah. I really enjoy that because generally speaking, if they're really good at what they do and you ask the right questions, you will get a lively and engaging conversation going, and then you will get a lively and engaging piece of writing and I think that if you can write a lively engaging piece of writing in the corporate world then you are on a winner yeah yeah and uh, the skill of a good writer is make a blade of is to be able to make a blade of grass interesting absolutely <clears throat> so we'll work on that project <laughs> <laughs> moving on to uh you know being skilled as a writer what's our comment on you know the craft of writing this week well, this week we're talking, I, I found it, we're doing a little craft post this week because one of the things that I, I find quite interesting is this notion of show, don't tell. Mm. And it's something that comes up over and over again in fiction writing and everyone's like, oh, you've got a show, don't tell. It's, it's, it's almost, it's like one of those mythical beasts like don't use adverbs, you know, it's exactly the same as that. Um, so, but then you come to an actually, how do I explain that to somebody? Because and I found myself in this very interesting role um, a couple of weeks ago because my little writers group at the primary school that I teach, we had gone through character setting, et cetera, et cetera. We got to the point after 11 weeks or whatever of the term that we did um, where we're starting to get into the slightly more interesting aspects of writing beyond the basics. And one of those basics is show, don't tell. Now, I'm dealing with 11 and 12-year-olds, so it's a fairly we're at a fairly basic level and I don't expect them to get it overnight. I just kept saying to them, I'm going to talk to you about this stuff because this is what it's about and if you can start to get it now, then you will be 20 years ahead of everybody else. <laughs> yes. And if you can start putting some of this stuff into your writing, you are going to be doing really, really well because there's a lot of, there's a lot of grown-up authors who don't get show, don't tell. Yes. Yes. So I went in search of some help and I found this terrific post on Writer's Relief, which is a great um, craft writing blog. Um, and it's basically show, don't tell, how to get it right. And it has examples, which I think is the key to the whole thing. Yes. So that, I, that shows yeah. it, that doesn't tell it. Exactly. So, you know, I'll just give you one example. The example of telling her son was wild and badly behaved. The show, 
Her son chased the frightened dog around the kitchen table, trying to pull its tail before hurling a fistful of spaghetti and red sauce at the wall. Goodness me, too much red cordial. Annoying, oh yeah, annoying kid. Yes. So we're showing that the, the sons had too much red cordial. Yeah. We're not telling. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of. The, so I just think it's a it's a quick overview, and it's something that if you're struggling with the whole idea, then go and have a quick look at it. Absolutely, I think it's a good one. So let's move on to the world of blogging this week. I had a very exciting week because uh, last night is it last night? Um, well, anyway, this week I went to uh, Nikki Parkinson's book launch in Sydney for her book unlock your style and many people may know that Nikki Parkinson has a great blog called styling you it's at stylingyou.com.au and um, Nikki actually won uh, back in 2011, I think, um, the uh, Australian Writer Centre's Best Australian Blogs competition. She was our inaugural winner. Whee! And um, she's since then gone from strength to strength. And I'm so thrilled for Nikki that, you know, after winning the blog competition, she, she was, you know, blogging part-time at the time and she was doing some work as a stylist. And uh, as a, following that, she, she became a full-time blogger and is now one of Australia's most successful bloggers. So um, very keen to um, see how this book goes. It's published by Hachette. And in fact, Nikki is our interview this week. She is our writer in residence. So we're going to learn all about how to, um, how Nikki turned her blog into an amazing full-time uh, gig, as well as now a, um, what I believe is going to be a very successful book. So here's Nikki. Nikki Parkinson is one of Australia's most successful bloggers. She blogs at stylingyou.com.au, a site that Nikki says is designed to help busy people get out of the door each day looking and feeling the best they can. In 2011, Nikki actually won the Australian Writers' Centre's Best Australian Blogs competition as the top blog in the country, and she says that it was a turning point in her blogging career. Nikki had initially started her blog as a way to market her styling business, but within six months of winning the Best Australian Blogs competition, she was able to become a full-time blogger. And this brought her to the attention of Hachette, who approached her to write a book. And the result is the book, Unlock Your Style. So thanks for joining us today, Nikki. Thanks for having me, Val. Well, tell us about your book. I just love the whole concept. I can't wait to see it in stores. Uh, it's called Un- Unlock Your Style. Tell us what your book is about to start off with. My book is basically part manual, part story, part best friend, best wardrobe friend. And I hope that it will help women go through the process of finding their own personal style. It's not about telling people what they should be wearing, but giving them the confidence to um, choose clothes from their wardrobe or in store so that they feel confident in whatever their day dishes up to them. And tell us why and when you decided to write it. It's a bit of an interesting story. It began on the blog as a 14-day series um, that in January last year, January 2013. And it, January is traditionally a quiet reading time on the blog or so I thought. And I thought, oh, you know, I, just to keep things exciting for me as well, I'll do something different and kind of take people through a little bit of um, a process where they could start the new year with a focus on their own style and, you know, digging in their wardrobes and getting sorted there. And by the end of that 14 days, the readers, the people were reading it every day and, and really joining in and that kind of got, you know, caught me by surprise a little. And then by the end of the 14 days, um, a lot were asking for it in an ebook form, like in one form that they could easily refer back to. Mm. So I had always had in the back of my head to um, get an ebook designed, which I did uh, through Kelly Exeter at mm-hmm. Swish Design, and that went on sale in April last year, mm-hmm. um, and it sold quite well. And one of the buyers was a commissioning editor at Hachette. Um, unbeknownst to me (laughs) and within a month I had a meeting with him and he said I want you to 
pitch this and I want to take this to a commissioning meeting. Um, and so I had a deadline of early June last year to have that proposal in and basically they gave me the outline of what was required for the proposal. So I stuck to that and um, that passed through two meetings at Hachette, um, including the costings, I think it was marketing and then the costings, to see whether it was a viable, what they thought it was be a viable project. And I had a contract to write that by mid-July. Wow, fantastic. Mm. So did you always want to write a book or was this all a bit accidental? Had it been in your grand master plan to get a publishing deal? Um, yes, but I didn't really have a plan for it. <laughs> okay. No, it along. Um, it was funny, I for ages on my blog I had a, a little feedback form um, about, you know, would you like to be in my book, submit a question that you would like answered in a book? And I didn't really have a firm idea about what that book was about. Um, and it was interesting that the series on the blog kind of firmed up what the potential for that book could be. Mm. Um, having been a journo, I, the thought of writing so much, so many words <laughs> was a little bit daunting, I think. And I think that was kind of blocking where I was at with it. You know, do you sit down and just write mm. um, 60,000 words or whatever? And, yeah, it was – I don't know. I, and, and I kind of, everything I've done with my blog business has kind of just evolved and I, I like that aspect of So it. that's true because as a journalist, you're used to writing things that are 500 words or 800 words, you know, maybe 1,000 words. So 60,000 yeah. is massive. So take us through that process. So you got the contract in mid-July and when did you have to deliver the manuscript and what did how did you then make those 60,000 words um, emerge? Did you have a set routine? Did you pull blog posts together? Did you start from scratch? Take yeah. us through that journey. So I had about eight weeks all up to get the manuscript done. I had, I could have had till November to write it. I started about mid-August, I think, once everything was finalised. And I was going away for a girlfriend's holiday, um, 40th to Bali in October. So I wanted it, didn't want that hanging over me while I was away. So I brought my that deadline from the publisher back a few weeks. Um, so all in all, I think it was about eight or nine weeks of writing and I kept the blog up at the same time. So that was a bit of, that was probably the biggest challenge to me. I just didn't squirrel away and do the book I kind of had to keep the business side of my blog going at the same time and that meant um, keeping up my regular posting there Monday to Friday I at this point realized I couldn't do it all and I contracted out uh, to some other bloggers to write at least one of the posts every week I would commission what the topic would be and it would be done to the, the particular style it would be written by them but um, I knew that it would be ridiculous to think that I could keep that up myself, that same posting thing. So what I, that freed me up to do was I would do the rest of the blog writing at the start of the week and generally leave Thursday and Friday to write the book. So when it came to the book, thank goodness that um, my editor at Hachette understood that I was very much a deadline-focused girl and could they break it down. And they actually had me submitting four chapters a fortnight, uh. which really that format really worked well for me mm. because I then broke that down to two chapters a week. Yep. And except for one week where I was at the Pro Blogger Conference, I met that two chapters a week self-imposed deadline mm. and it just made it possible to to break it down and not think about the total word yep, yep. count. And so you said you brought the deadline forward. Now, most authors, publishers are used to them missing their deadlines, <laughs> not ever bringing them forward. Did they fall off their chairs when you suggested that? No, but they should have. Because <laughs> um, the other part of the component of the book, and I found this the most stressful actually, was organising the photo shoot. Mm. And that had to happen um, 
according to the availability of the photographer and that turned out to be the first week in November. So it's actually just as well that I did bring that back because then I was able to have a couple of weeks to organise my models, all the clothes, all the beauty products, basically um, coordinate that whole shoot in Sydney for the book. So it was... uh, it was actually fortuitous because that would have just been crazy if I was finishing the manuscript as well as trying to um, call in a hundred beauty products. So this, it sounds like a dream run. It's fantastic. But, and a lot of this basically is because of your blog. Now, just in case there are any listeners who are not familiar with stylingyou.com.au, which is a blog I love, um, tell them what it's about. So the book actually is very – the blog is very similar, um, has a similar message to the book and, and it, the book is going to be great because it kind of underpins what um, my blog has become and what's it all about. And really I I aim every day to help women, busy women generally um, – I actually don't know any women who aren't busy um, – <laughs> to find their style, that they feel confident in, to show their personality and what they wear, um, to dress uh, – appropriately for um, a certain occasion you know a lot of women and it's for um, a typically an over 30 demographic so in that demographic you've got a lot of women going through all sorts of different um, life events and changes you know they might have kids they might leave the workforce they might return to the workforce they might make made redundant they might um, leave a relationship you know there's a lot of confidence stuff in there that they might need help with and it might seem superficial to to think about fashion and beauty stuff but it if if you can kind of uh get that sorted and simple in your life then it's amazing how much confidence that can give you to do whatever is required so why did you start your blog and when did you start it I started my blog almost six years ago in July 2008 and initially it was to market my personal styling business that I had started after um, jumping out of journalism Mm -hmm. after a 20-year career. So I accidentally fell into blogging because the first website that was designed for me was designed on a WordPress platform Mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful for that. (laughs) I had said to um, this person who was doing my site for me, I said, look, I don't want to be coming back to you when I want to, you know, share new information or I want to continue to do things that I did when I was a journalist. And he said, well, you need a blog. And I went, "Mm, yep, sure, whatever you say, not really knowing what that was or, (laughs) or how that differed. All I knew was when it was delivered to me that I could pretty much go in and upload content much as you would be writing on a Microsoft Word document and that pleased me a lot. It was probably about a year or so in that I realised, ooh, blogging is a thing (laughs) and there's other bloggers out there and people leave comments and there's a community and then it's actually a lot of fun because once people comment on things and leave you feedback you 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 know you're not just broadcasting you're starting a conversation and that's probably when I kind of refocused and turned things around so you're a full-time blogger now when did it become full-time a full-time income earning activity for you then you started it six years ago because you had a styling business but yeah when did it become full-time blogging so I stopped taking personal styling clients um, beginning of 2012. So just over two years, mm. I've been um, full t- a full-time blogger. Um, and everyone's def- definition of full-time is different. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was replacing um, my previous income as a journalist, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I've well and truly done that. Um, and Absolutely. in a way that is so more flexible. Now, I love your blog and I cannot wait to um, get the book. Now, what do you think that the publishers saw in you apart from the topic, which is a great topic, I love books like this, but what else do you think that the publishers saw in you that made that it appealing to, to them? I really think that uh, the existing audience that I have mm. um, is is 
increasingly appealing to to publishers just like it's appealing to brands who might want to work with me um for publishers it's not an easy sell but i would say easier because i've got an audience who is already connected to what i write um and they're looking forward they you know they've shared the i hate the word journey they've shared (laughs) every step along the way and and they're as excited as I am. And I, I think that's kind of things that you can't fake. Like you can't suddenly yeah. build a social media profile mm. um, just because you've got a book coming out. I think it's actually mm. very fortuitous that I've got it this way around. Um, and I and the book really will underpin the blog for me. I really like that aspect of it. And I think you um, hit a great point in that you have this existing community who are sharing the steps with you along the way. um, And a lot of that has – they've connected to you not only through your blog but through social media because I speak to a lot of um, first-time authors who say, oh, yeah, I'll get on social media once my book is finished Mm -hmm. and it's in stores. What's your comment on that? I think that before they even – pitch their their, um, their their book idea that they should be building on their social media presence because if they're obviously already a writer or enjoy writing, mm. I think, you know, at the very least you're showcasing what you've done and, mm. and what you are capable of and publishers are definitely looking at those networks as part of their, you know, the process, the approval process. Mm. So, how would you describe your social media strategy then? <laughs> oh, Val, I don't have a strategy. <laughs> really? um, I, I really, and I'm going to sound like um, a hippie here, I really am all big on the organic, you know. Yeah. Uh, I have built it all from, you know, every little win and now that there's a sizable following on Facebook now, mm. but I think that's big. Because the demographic of my readership, if they're on social media, are more likely to be on Facebook. Mm. So I've been able to. I, I definitely spend more time on. Fa- that's the strategy. I spend more time on Facebook yeah. as a social media platform than any other mm. at the moment, and that's probably been the way for the cu- last couple of years. Uh, I love Instagram for the creativity, but you can't really track whether that's bringing more readers or engagement to your blog. Twitter in the early days was an awesome. Uh, way to connect on an industry level and to just connect with other people around Australia. It's quite noisy now. So I think it still works really well for events and for um, different, you know, programs that might be, you, might be happening where there's a hashtag and you're following along. I think that's a great way to kind of just get that immediacy. Mm. But as far as cutting through and building um, an engaged audience, I don't think as much. It um, doesn't mean Facebook's easy, but um, I just have created a little routine around it. Like I publish the blog on my blog every day at the same time, Monday to Friday. So my readers kind of have got to know that. I also publish about that post every day at the same time on Facebook. Um, and apart from that, I might put up a couple of posts up to five maximum during the day um, about different things that are relative to my audience. But apart from that... Um, no great strategy. I know other bloggers who have Excel formats with, um, you know, have got their posts scheduled months in advance. I kind of, I think it's the journal and me who would like to react to things that I see and share things that are current and relevant. And if I have something scheduled, I can just move the time around um, if something else comes up that I'd I'd rather share. So it's... um, that's that's it. That's the strategy. I think that's I think that's important and put an important point in note as well because some people think, oh no, I I couldn't, I don't have the time to do a big Excel spreadsheet and plan all my social media oh. posts. But I, in my opinion, anyway, one of the reasons people do connect with you or well, why you resonate with them is because it's just natural. It just seems like a really normal thing that you're posting this. It doesn't seem calculated or you know anything like that. So I think that it's good that you think it's a you know organic. But tell me, because it's the ebook that kind of started this in a sense that you know kicked it along a bit. When uh, what proportion of the ebook, if any, ended up in the actual book? 
So the ebook was, I think, about 50 pages, and this is 176 um, pages, full colour. Uh, the bones of the ebook are in here, definitely, um, rewritten and very much expanded on because the size of the, the, the amount of text uh, yeah, had, to, had to be upped and updated and um, super edited by a super editor. <laughs> <laughs> but did you take that ebook and expand it to a yep. hundred whatever, or no. did you take the skeleton of it but rewrite it from scratch? So, as part of the proposal, I obviously had to come up with a uh, a, ch a chapter outline that would fill, yep. uh, you know, an expanded book. So, some of those chapters are the same as the ebook, but within those chapters, they're expanded. Some are new chapters mm. at, that weren't in the ebook as or, at, at all. So it's a combination of the two, expansion within a chapter mm. plus also extra chapters. So when you were writing on your Thursday and Friday, so the two days that you were dedicated to writing the book, did you have a routine? Did you or, you know, did you think I'm going to write 500 words before lunch and then 500 after in the afternoon or, you know, how did you make it happen? <laughs> I'm a shocking procrastinator. Okay. Shocking, shocking, shocking. This is why, you know, bringing the deadline forward, that actually works for me because mm -hmm. the tighter the deadline, the more urgency I yeah. see. And I, I, I realise that in myself. I And my daughter has actually identified it in herself too. So I basically, so I brought it down to Thursday and Friday. The aim was to do one chapter mm -hmm. on Thursday, one chapter on the Friday because I had to do two chapters a week in my own self-imposed deadline yeah. and I just because I was working within school hours so I just had to get get off social media <laughs> which is probably you know my favorite procrastination playground mm. and just hit fingers to the keyboard like I um in my back when I was on a typewriter at university <laughs> studying journalism one of my first lecturers said think through your fingers mm. and that seriously has stuck I from that moment on I never wrote anything down first I just hit the keyboard and let it all pour out mm. and then come back in and play with it sure. like it just it's like a brain dump and that's what I would do with with that chapter mm. I would just go right boom here it is there might have been like a skeleton from the ebook to mm. work from mm. and like anything you've previously written you go oh geez what happened <laughs> I want to um, redo that or, you know, that's outdated already and, and and I went from there. So, and I think that's traditionally how I've always written. Yeah, as, yeah. short deadline. Yes. So what has been a surprising um, uh, outcome of writing the book or what is it that you've, you know, learnt from the whole experience? That I really didn't believe it was all happening until the book arrived in my hand really I don't know I think just because I've been in online world for so long yeah right. and you know um, another big part of the whole process for me was working on the design um, and trying to get like the design obviously I didn't do the design but it mm. came to me and I wanted to tweak it um, to just make it how I to sort of gel with how, what I had in my head mm. and how it was on the page and, you know, that kind of, uh, that was a big challenge as well. Mm. I think, um, you know, it just is just realising that you can do something like this. You can do a major project. The other thing is the credibility factor of being a book. Yeah. You know, everybody from relatives to to friends at school, they don't understand what a blog is necessarily. <laughs> but, oh, my God, you're writing a book? That's awesome. <laughs> And so what's next? Have you got book two planned? Of course I don't, Val. <laughs> um, I'm hoping the idea for that will generate from, from this and from, you know, getting out and talking to people who are buying the book and, and, and continually on the blog getting getting feedback you know yeah. it might be nut nutting it even down further into more specifics about what to wear for this occasion yeah what, yeah. what to wear for this particular era part of my life you know yeah. um 
So this might be, you know, the first tool and then really bringing it down even further. And finally, there are a lot of listeners who are so intrigued by this concept of being a full-time blogger. What would be your top advice to them on the key things they need to consider in if they want to, you know, make it as a full-time blogger? Don't give up your day job or, or have good other sources of income. And because you're going to have to be prepared to have income coming from other forms until that such point in time that you've built up an audience um, that is marketable to a brand or or is marketable for your products. Because either way you go, you don't really have something to sell, whether it's your space or your products, until you've got an audience. And to get that audience, you've got to devote time to building and, and creating and writing solid quality content that's engaging and that people want to log on and read and they want to be part of your community and join in on your social media networks or on the blog. And if you lose focus of that, then the rest of it's not going to happen. Mm, great advice. And finally, what's next for you? Well, apparently I've got to sell this book now. <laughs> <laughs> So no, I have no doubt that this is going to fly off the shelves. I can tell already. Um, so initially, that there's going to be a, um, a lot of book events and book launches and that sort of thing. And I kind of don't know how that's all going to unfold. And I am not booking in or doing anything much else apart from that. The blog will keep going. And so that takes a lot of work. You know, just because you reach a certain point in readership, then you can't just stop. Yep. And you know that each week that takes a lot to feed that and to keep up with the business around that so yeah I don't have any other grand plans for anything else at this at this point um, I will be getting around hopefully getting around to as many places in Australia as possible to meet people wonderful well we can't wait to see you and best of luck with the book we think that it's going to be awesome so thanks for talking to us today thanks so much Val so there you go, the lovely Nikki Parkinson. Yeah, she's fantastic. And she's also like, uh, you know, one of the most engaged, warm, lovely members of the Australian blogosphere. That she's, yeah. she's terrific and she speaks so well. She pre often presents at different blogging conferences and different things that she does. And she's very, very generous with her knowledge. And I think that that's, you know, so more power to her. Yeah. And I hope she sells a billion copies. Go, Nikki. Go, Nikki. <laughs> okay, so what's our web pick for this week? Well, following on from our discussion a few weeks ago regarding naming characters and how, you know, all my characters are called Fred until I actually come up with a name for them, we had a few discussions on Twitter with various people who really struggle with the notion of naming characters. And um, I sent them off. There's a few uh, random internet name generators that you can find on the web. But we also found the Name Dice, which is an app that you can download and it will come up with hundreds of different names. It's got hundreds of, it includes hundreds of first and last names and you just basically keep clicking until it comes up with a combination that you think yes that's perfect for my character so oh. that's just a fun little thing that if you're struggling with names give it a go that's better than me i just name everyone melissa melissa yeah and then I, i'll go back and change it later but in the meantime everyone's melissa Where did, why melissa i don't know it's just the name that came into my head i just call everyone melissa <laughs> anyway um so People have been sending us questions and we are definitely going to be getting to them. So thank you for those of you who have been sending questions. If Keep you have sending questions, them. yes, that you'd like us to answer about the world of writing or publishing or blogging, please do email us at podcast at writerscentre.com.au. Now, Jody did just that. Um, and her question is, uh, I'm starting out in freelance writing for magazines and newspapers and it's very frustrating to spend so long working on a pitch only to have a negative response from the editor or worse still, nothing at all. This is particularly frustrating if I've spent the time researching the publication, finding a relevant hook, gathering information and stats and putting effort into collating the information into a succinct pitch. Of course, I know editors won't commission every pitch they receive, but this is this something that we just need to get used to or is it simply a matter of honing our pitching skills, which can only come with time? Whew. Whoa. Okay. 
So the um, answer to that question is actually so long that we decided to write a blog post on it. (laughs) (laughs) Much easier. We will summarise it here for you on this podcast, but um, it is a very long and um, complex answer. So we have broken down the answer into several parts, which we hope you find useful. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it basically now is a feature on our blog at um, at writercenter.com.au slash blog and it's in a section that we're going to be doing regularly called Ask Valerie. Ask Valerie. <laughs> yes. And sometimes we'll pull in Alison. We'll, we'll, we'll call it Ask Alison. Oh. <laughs> but <laughs> <What do you laughs> me? I actually answered this question, Al. However, what is your take on it? Perhaps we can have a quick discussion on it. But if you want the really long answer, please do go to the uh, written version on the blog. So, Al. Okay, so I know editors won't commission every pitch they receive, but is this something that we just need to get used to? Yes. Or is it simply a matter of honing our pitching skills, which can only come with time? Yes. Yes and yes are my answers to that in the short term. It's one of those situations, I think, that um, you talk in your answer about developing a relationship, and, and that's very, very important. Getting Sometimes just getting... You just need to find the seam of ideas that are going to work for you, and that does take a little bit of time. Um, but yes, you need to get used to the fact that your pitches aren't going to be accepted, and you need to get used to the fact that you are going to put the work in, and nothing's going to happen, and you're going to go oh, and you're going to feel rejected and sad. So you know, my number one tip is for new freelancers is you know develop a rhinoceros hide. Yep. Because it's not about you. It's just that that idea was not right on that day for that particular editor. And then you need to bring it back and you need to have a look at why. Why didn't it work? What did I get wrong? How did I do this? And can I take this idea and can I make it work for a different publication? Not by sending them the same pitch, but by how do I tweak this? Is this going to work for, you know, for, for someone else in the same realm? If I've sent this to Women's Health, can I rework this for women's fitness in a different way and will it work there? You know, it's it's just, it's it's sad but true. It, it just takes time to, you know, to find the right, the right seam of ideas for that particular editor to develop a relationship with that editor. And, yeah, you just need to get used to the fact that, you know, you can have a run. I still have runs sometimes where I will send ideas and they'll be rejected, you know, five or six of them. Mm. And, yeah, I want to cry because, really, like, why? What do you mean? What's wrong with them? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just, okay, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Try I again. it's important to remember there's a big difference between an idea, which may be a great idea, and a pitch. So yeah. You might actually pitch a great idea, but your pitch might not have actually been very strong. Yeah, so it's your ideas not still right. sound. Yeah, like yeah. You just didn't put enough in your pitch, or didn't come through with the with the right information that the editor wanted. Yeah. And for those people who are thinking, you know, I put a lot of effort into my pitch and have to do all this research. Well, one of the things that you could do is try and increase your ROI, your return on investment on it. Yeah. And one of the things I've suggested is that instead of let's say you really want to write about gluten free for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of developing just one story idea for one publication, because you're going to do the research on gluten-free anyway, consider pitching several story ideas to several different publications, obviously not publications that are competitive to each other, but you might pitch a story on the impact on gluten-free diets in school canteens for essential kids, but then you might pitch a story on, you know, how businesses are cashing into the trend of more gluten-free products for BRW. So they're totally different markets, so they're not going to care that you're writing, you know, for each other. But since you're doing the research on gluten-free stuff anyway, you know, try and get more bang for your buck. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Definitely. Good answer, Val. Thanks. (laughs) So this brings us almost to uh, time to wrap up. So before we move on, what are you going to be doing until we next speak? Well, I'm going to be finishing a massive battle at sea, apparently. That's what I'll be working so on So you'll be washing week. more dishes? I'll be doing a lot of washing of dishes and weeding. Weeding the garden is fantastic for me. I do some of my best work while I'm weeding the garden. Um, yeah, and but I'm also, on Sunday, I'm going to pick up the newest member of the family. Oh! Yes, a chocolate brown border collie pup called Scout. So we will be having a new – so, you know, by the time you speak to me next week, I'll probably be over the whole thing and wiping up we, which will be another way for me to think about my writing. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing on Sunday, so I'm really looking forward to that. And we'll have a puppy barking in the background. And I will (laughs) – 
Oh, let's not even talk about that. But I will put a picture of Scout up on the in the show notes for the next um, the next podcast. Oh, sweet! We'll mm. have Scout on the podcast. Oh, I, I don't think Scout's going to be up to talking just yet. Oh. We have to give him a few months, I think. <laughs> well, for me, it's kind of book launch week. So um, I went to a book launch earlier this week for Nikki Parkinson's book, as I mentioned, in Sydney. And um, last night uh, I was meant to go to my friend Steve Sammartino's book launch. Um, he has just written The Great Fragmentation. Ooh. and um, But it was in another state, so it was a bit difficult. Yeah, that's awkward. But, you know, I was there in spirit, Steve. And um, tonight I'm going to Katrina Pollard's book launch. She has launched her book um, called From Unknown to Expert for people who want to go from unknown to being an expert in the industry. So it seems to be book launch week. This week. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. Another good book launch. You know, a bit of champagne here and there. It's quite fun, really. Fantastic. Not a bad perk at the job. Um, <laughs> so better than washing up. Yeah, better than washing up. <laughs> if people want to find you, Al, where do they go? Um, they will find me at alisontate.com. Wonderful. They'll find me on valeriekoo.com. You can find show notes to this podcast at writerscentercomau slash podcast. If you'd like to email us a question, it's just podcast at writerscentercomau And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. We do. Bye. 